Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Seth Yolorda, and I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this week's message. Our prayer is that it will leave you inspired, encouraged, and challenged as you grow higher in Christ. And I also just want to ask that if this message is a blessing to you, that you would take the time to share it, to send it to a friend, send it to a family member so that they too can be blessed. Again, we thank you for taking the time to listen, and we pray that you are blessed. Today's message is going to be found in the book of John, John chapter 6. We'll be reading through John chapter 6, um, and um, I want to read an excerpt that leads into our message today before we begin. So we're going to be found in John chapter 6. I'll be reading from the new NIV version. John chapter 6 verse 35, and we're going to read it to verse 40. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Today's message is going to be called Deliverance from doubt. Pray with me, church. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for giving us this morning in where we carry so much on our backs. We carry so much on our hearts. Yet, as we do life together, we're blessed to have a church space and church family to be open, transparent, and real with each other. So Jesus, I'm simply praying that you be with me this morning. I pray that you rid of all of the distracting thoughts, all of the mindless um, distractions that, that, that wander in my head, and just let it be clear that I, I deliver your message this morning. I pray that you be with those who are seated, those who are viewing online, and I pray that the message that you have, give, that you have to give will communicate well. We love you, we praise you, and we say these things on your name. Amen. So hello, everyone. My name is Pastor JB. I am the Next Gen Coordinator here at the church, and it is my pleasure to be serving here, and it is also a pleasure to be uh, sharing the podium. As we know, Pastor Seth has been on sabbatical for the past few months, so we just want to, I just want to give a quick shout out to Pastor Seth and Holly and the kids, so if you guys can please give your, uh, your hands together to Pastor Seth, allowing me to share this podium and pulpit. Oh man, deliverance from doubt. Jesus, oh Jesus, I have doubts to where my life is going. Jesus, I feel lesser with my doubts. Jesus, I feel like nobody can relate to my doubts and insecurities. 
Jesus, you give us a scripture, you give us this book called the Bible, but how is it that we can relate to the situations in there? Because my life is so different. Jesus, my life is different. It's gone through, I've gone through so many things. I don't expect to be reading something and it, it to be relatable to me. Jesus, I am unsure of where my life has been going and I'm sure, unsure of where it's going to be taking me. And to be honest, I'm unsure of you. We say these doubts, we have these thoughts, we have some frustrations that we go and we, uh, we'll say it upon Jesus, we look up and we, and we cry and we say these things. You know, today I'm going to be drawing from scripture, from my own personal experiences when it comes to dealing with doubt and insecurity. And I'm going to be a little honest. Is that okay, church? Cool. We're going to be honest today. I'm going to be sharing some moments of transparency. And I'm going to ask mercy and understanding because the, the, some of the things that I might be sharing from experience may or may not be a relevant or big issue in your understanding of how life is. But I promise you, and I have faith in that my experience that I have, however little or however belittling it looks to you, I'm praying that this will reach somebody in this space today. The definition of doubt is feeling of uncertainty and lack and or lack of conviction. So today is Saturday and every two weeks, hopefully every two weeks on Fridays, on afternoons, I drive over to the Gentleman's Hair Lounge. Every two weeks I go to Gentleman's Hair Lounge, I get a haircut from my guy Omar we converse, we commune, and I walk out of that barbershop with a level of confidence that cannot be explained. I don't know, I know there's some gentlemen in here, and if you all know what I'm talking about, if we go into the barber, we go in with like an, a certain type of demeanor, it's like, hey, what's up? We're kind of slouching, we're like, kind of like, hey, what's up, man, you know, whatever. And as soon as we come out of that barbershop, it's got to get a little touch. Got a little touch. The eyebrows is like, oh snap, it's a new day. The confidence I get from my barber is again, I cannot explain it. And it's it's one of those things where if you had if you had a good barber cut you up, you come out of it with, with utmost confidence, that's when you know your barber's good. That's when you know your barber's good. Fellas, anybody in the house? Hands, come on. You gotta get there you go. There we know what's up. <laughs> We know what's up. The confidence that we get from those barbers is, is unexplainable, unexplainable. The haircut gives me confidence. Let me tell you something. When I first started serving at this church, I, um, <laughs> I was met with a little bit of tough love. So this one day, this is probably, I think this is only a year ago. Um, this one day I walked into church and um, I decided to grow out my hair during COVID. I decided to grow out my hair, and this is one of like the first times we were um, recording live. We were recording live, and we were, we were going to be here on Saturday mornings. And I just got my hair cut. I just got my hair cut, and um, I was growing out my hair. But I had my barber kind of trim, kind of kind of get a little fade on the back and on the sides. But I decided to still grow it out, right? So this is the first time I walk in the door. 
Oh, Mary Wolfson. If you're here, I know you're not here, but if you're, if you're watching or if you're streaming or if somebody's going to tell you about this, oh, I love you so much. I love you, Mary. I walk in the door. It's my first time seeing Mary in, in months long because of COVID. And Mary gives me something called a little bit of tough love. I walk in with my haircut. <laughs> I walk in. I was saying, hey, Mary, what's up? And she said, the first thing she says, what is that on your head? I was, I was like, yo, I'm, in my head, I was like, dude, like, I'm trying to grow on my hair. Um, I, I know it's just a fade. I know my barber said to trust the process. Like, if I'm trying to grow out the hair, I got to trust the process. So it's going to be an awkward stage. He said, you got to wear hats, bro. Just you gotta get ready to wear hats. I couldn't walk in here wearing a hat because I was going to be on stage. I was like, okay, no. Walked in, first words coming out of Mir's mouth. What is that on your head? Tough love right then and there. As, as you can see, Mary was a big part of the decision of me not growing out my hair. <laughs> that is tough love in action right there. And I'm not joking. That's what really happened. <laughs> I have wrestled with doubt and insecurity with myself for a while. I have wrestled with doubt and insecurity, though it was only in my later years of high school and college, probably the early years of college where I actually went to therapy because therapy was a given a free commodity, a free source as students that we had access to. And so it wasn't like the main reason why I went to therapy, but I went to counseling and therapy and I found out that, oh snap, I got a lot of doubts and insecurities about myself, way more than I thought. Therapy taught me that I have a constant, and this is where I'm being honest and transparent, because therapy actually taught me this, that I have a constant need and want to be loved, appreciated, and acknowledged by everyone around me. And so this is not something, and as I'm, as, before I even go into this, this is not something that, because I declared that and I said that to you, that this is, I've worked it all out. I'm done. I'm good. No, this is an ongoing thing. But it was only until therapy where I realized that, oh, yeah, this is a real thing. I'm going to continue to work through it. So again, if there are constant thoughts, if doubts, or, or if, if the constant thought of doubt is, is wandering in your daily thoughts, in your weekly thoughts, whether that be talking about yourself or doubt and insecurities of the others, I'm praying that you hear this message today. We're going to be going into the book of John, like I said. And something cool about the gospel of John is that it is written in a way where scholars have deemed this gospel to be, uh, lack of a better word, a humanizing gospel. We get to experience Jesus and his ministry in a way that humanizes him with the words, descriptive words in Greek and the scenarios and the perspectives of those around Jesus because we are getting a little bit more of a better detailed picture of what happened in that time. Jesus, Jesus experiencing the, the, those who were the oppressed, those who were ill, and Jesus, the human Jesus that lived with other humans, the other disciples, the real human disciples, and the things and the, the human interactions that come with living and living life with somebody in close quarters for a long time. So we're going to go through three points of doubt that we can learn from the Bible and how it relates to us. So if you're taking notes, this is going to be my first thing that we're going to, to take note of. It is that doubt damages divine perspective. 
Doubt damages divine perspective. I want you to hear this whole thing out because it's, if you take things out of context, it's gonna sound off, but I want you to listen through it. The first thing I wanna say that we read through scripture is that doubt damages divine perspective. In other words, our thoughts. So again, I said we're gonna be in John chapter six. John chapter six, and before we even lead up to John chapter six, we get to, le- we get to read and learn about Jesus' experiences of how he experiences doubt before we lead into chapter six, right? So check it out. John chapter one, we got Nathaniel believing, Nathaniel doubting in believing that Jesus was the son of man. The doubt was then alleviated. John chapter two, we got Jesus, Jesus turning water into wine. That was his first miracle. Jesus' mother said that, they were at a wedding celebration. Jesus turned water into wine. Jesus' mother brings the water. Jesus turns it to wine. That was then the first miracle. Later in John chapter 2, Jesus destroys the temple and says that it's going to be risen in three days. We got a little bit of foreshadowing of what he meant by it being risen in three days before his death. John chapter three, we get Nicodemus, who is someone who, equivalent to a scholar of today's age. Nicodemus, who was doubting the teachings of Jesus and saying that, you know, he was taking him a little bit more literally saying that, I'm an old man, Jesus, what do you mean I can be born again? And then Jesus explained that, yes, you can be born again. Boom, alleviated. These were real people that Jesus experienced doubt from. Because we have to remind ourselves that Jesus is one God, one human. These were real people that interacted. It is written in scripture, so I say let's learn from them. Amen? Alrighty, so we go into John, John chapter 6. We're leading up to this point. Jesus is going about to feed the 5,000. So Jesus is about to feed the 5,000. And we go to verse we go to verse five. Jesus, when Jesus looked up, saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread? Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now this is interesting. If you look at verse six, it says that he, Jesus asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what was he going to do. Jesus already knew what was happening. And then later after that, after Philip said, After that, Philip said, 88 months of wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. There's there's one person, one doubt right there. Verse 8, another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Again, doubt number two. Jesus is just experiencing the doubt from his close homies, his close friends, his disciples. But then again, they are real people just as you and I. So we got Philip doubting that there is not enough money. Eight months wages is not enough money to feed and go and find food for the thousands of people that have come to see Jesus. And then Andrew saying that there's not enough food. But again, we're reminded that in verse six, Jesus asked this to test them. Reminder that, that Jesus was living with these disciples, you know? And um, when we live with somebody and we start to get to know somebody, 
there's going to be a, I want to call it the eggshell phase. There's a little eggshell phase where we're kind of walking on eggshells and being very conscious of where we're walking just so we won't say or do anything to offend the other person, right? For instance, I was living in the dorms at La Sierra. I was living at the dorms at La Sierra University and Thankfully, I knew, I knew the person. I knew the person from church, and we decided to be doormates. But overall, we had a great, great relationship as doormates. But there was a period, and I think this period was kind of long, a period of where we were kind of like making sure we don't overstep our boundaries and being like really polite about things. And the period probably lasted about like two months, longer than others, because I think it's because we knew each other. But it, two months of this eggshell, walking on eggshell uh, phase, right? This walking on eggshell phase, like we would, I would come home late and um, I'd give him a text, hey, are you awake? I know it's 1130. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and turn on the lights. And then he said, oh, dude, of course, right? Or, or he'll text me while I'm in class. He said, hey, like, I'm going to go ahead and open another bar of soap. I, I see it in the pantry. Is that cool? Dude, of course, right, right. And after that two-month stage, it's like, all right, here's our true characters. So then, you know, people's clothes start just, like, hanging around in the room without saying anything. It starts to get a lot more messier. Things are... Things are taken when we didn't know. It didn't get that bad, it didn't get crazy bad, but I definitely noticed that after that two month stage, a little bit of our true character starts coming off. The texts of letting us know that, hey, we're gonna come home late and is it okay if I turn off the lights? That was gone. We just, you know, turn on the lights willy nilly, don't matter. Um, if we needed, if we saw a bag of chips on the counter unopened, that meant free game, I guess. That's how we operated, I guess, I don't know. Um, and then <laughs> when it came to like bringing other like friends over in the dorm, we would always ask before, but then after the eggshell phase, like um, we would just bring them in and then there would be sometimes, if it was not in the right mood, like there would be eye contact, look down, take the stuff and they just leaves. Like no, no addressing, no I'm gonna bounce, hey don't worry about it. none of that, it would just, it gets to a little point where our characters start to show. It's like, oh, okay. But you guys know what I'm talking about? When we live with somebody for that month, for a long amount of time, there's always that period. Kind of similar to like the honeymoon phase in a relationship. There's always, we always don't want to, like, we want to be careful. We want to be cautious of what we say and do, right? But when we look back in this story, when Jesus is living with these disciples, when Jesus is, when the disciples are living with Jesus, we are reminded that no matter how much we want to think of ourselves as humans and in our flawed imperfections, there is doubt that we have. And it is that doubt that damages the divine perspective. When I say divine perspective, I mean it's how Jesus sees us, how Jesus sees the plan in entirety, how Jesus sees others, the character, the characteristics. It's the way that Jesus sees things that sometimes it's really hard for us to acknowledge and accept. And it's those doubts and insecurities that we have about ourselves and others that prevent us from seeing the way that things that Jesus sees others. So like on paper, the disciples spent so much time with Jesus. So we would think, all right, the disciples spent so much time with Jesus. That's a no-brainer. They know Jesus left and right, left to right. They know, they know him. They, you know, they understand who, he's do, what he, who he is. They got no doubts in this guy. They know who he is. But they still slipped up. 
They slipped up in these verses. There's some doubt because Jesus already knew. He asked this only to test him. He gave the scenario and he said, where are we gonna buy the bread? And Philip took the bait and said, what are you talking about? We don't got enough money. Andrew said, we don't got enough food. It's those moments in the Bible where we're able to see sliver, sliver little, sliver, whoa. <laughs> we, sliver, what is that? We are able to see imperfection, imperfection in the human nature. Those slimmer, slimmer, that's a weird word. What's, what's, <laughs> slimmer, slim, little moments, sliver, is it sliver? Sounds like a snake, sliver. Okay, those little, no, I'm using little. Those little moments, <laughs> those little moments where there is imperfection. I feel like most often or not, at least I was taught growing up, that those little moments, ah, don't be like that. Don't be like that. It's more of the slap on the fingers or like the, the ruler on the desk, like, mm, boom, see? Don't do that. Mm. Hello, mom. My mom's here. But this is where I, I want to challenge us to kind of shift a little bit of the perspective because I think in those little moments of imperfection of, of our humanity is where we can learn the most. So obviously, they doubted Jesus in that moment for Jesus delivering for the food to the thousands. But we read later on, he, he sits, Jesus sits everyone down he gathers the pieces of what was left and made sure that everyone was fed. In other words, Jesus had then delivered. So that's our first point. The doubt damages our divine perspective and our thoughts. Our second point today is that doubt demonstrates dysfunction. In other words, our actions. Doubt demonstrates dysfunction. So if we're going to keep on reading, we pick up that Jesus had already delivered. Jesus had already delivered and Jesus had provided the food and water despite the doubt, even amongst his own disciples. All were fed and maybe in my head, there, there, you know, there were so many, so, so much extra, like equivalent to how we do potluck here. Like there was like some, there was like a, there, there was a Paula or there was a somebody there who was like forcing food in your hands because there was so much food and water. So we're going to go ahead and keep going. We're going to go into John chapter six, verse 17. So he just fed the people's. And now we're going to read about an instance in where the doubt demonstrated dysfunction amongst the disciples. It came, the doubt came through in their actions. I'm going to start at verse 16. When the evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. But now it was dark and Jesus had not yet, Jesus had not yet and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, the waters grew rough, and they rowed three or three and a half miles. They were rowing their boat, the heavy waters, three or three and a half miles. Let's pause right there really quickly. 
Jesus, in verse 17, had not yet joined them. Jesus had not joined them despite the, 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 the deliverance of Jesus to the food and the water to the thousands. You would think that these disciples are gung-ho and it's like, yes, 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 yes. I knew it. See, Jesus was, Jesus was it. I told you, this is it. We should have always believed him. And this is where I'm going to invite you to, to share some, some perspective on how I see this. Because when, we've, when we're in the wrong, I don't think it's just as easy for us to switch back to say, oh yeah, I was in the wrong. Let's keep going. I'm one to say, that's not me. I'm very, very stubborn. And I feel like there is a moment of where these disciples possibly, possibly shared a moment of frustration because they found out that Jesus delivered and they knew that Jesus knew what was going to happen and Jesus, Jesus was doubted and they were wrong. And my, my view and my, my, my imagination of this is that they they decided to take action. And that's what our doubts and insecurities can do. They can take over us and they can demonstrate dysfunction. Because like earlier, the perspective of Jesus has already been altered. So they were rowing, I said, three or three and a half miles. So they really followed through with their decision to ditch Jesus. And they went through an idea. Who knows how those conversations went, how those verbal or nonverbal conversations went amongst the disciples to say, all right, guys, we're going to go. You know, who, that must have been bizarre. Bizarre to see and hear the conversations, whoever and how they decided to leave and just leave Jesus. Through the perspective of John, they left and they rode three and three, three or three and a half miles. So in my head, that's similar to how when we make the wrong decision and we know we're in the wrong and we catch it after we're, we're in the wrong, it's like, you know what? I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to keep going with this decision. Like, okay. I love driving. I love, I love the, the feeling of driving and freedom that it has given me ever since high school. I love driving. I love driving down the PCH. I love, not on the freeway, not on, I mean, sometimes. The 91 is very brutal, and I know you guys hear that a lot, but sometimes freeway traffic, you know, it humbles me. But I love driving. I love driving. It's, it's, it's a great feeling. Hands out the window, music blasting. A, a great feeling. But... I also really like to know where I'm going, and I like to be the one in the friend group who knows where they're going. So I, man, my mom and my sister are right here. Okay, this is the truth. I, I don't like looking up directions, or at least in front of them, because in my head, I'm like, I'm the guy. I, I got this. I don't know what stereotypes, what generalizations have come up to, to be who I am, but I, I always wanted to be that person who knew where he was going. I didn't need direction. Um, if we're on the phone or texting to go somewhere, I wanted to be the guy, hey, JB, wait, um, we're going to this restaurant. Um, it's, it's off of this freeway to that, and I exit here, right? And I want to be the first one to say yes, 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 or no. No, you're wrong. L let me lead the way, right? That is, that is just who I am. Part of my imperfection or quality or trait. See however you'd like to be. But that's, that is who I am. I got to know where I'm going, and I got to let everyone else know that I know where I'm going. Follow me. But I get humbled when I choose. <laughs> I get humbled when I'm going somewhere, and I realize I missed the ramp. 
Like we're going on the 55, you know that 55 south and we're going to the 22 west? That, okay, this is such a Californian thing already. Very, very Californian, just referencing the freeways. So I'm going off the 55, I'm here in the first lane, and I forget, because I'm like so in the moment, and my hands are at the window, I got, you know, music blaring, and I'm going the 55, but then I'm trying to go to the 22, and it's literally all the way on the other side of the road. So if I'm on the first lane, I'm over here trying to pass Chapman, and all right, all right I gotta start weaving here, it's like, okay, you know. Sometimes, because of this characteristic of mine, if I'm driving with a friend or my girlfriend Lauren or my family, I will not say anything and I will just keep driving. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna take the Santa Ana exit. The, I'm gonna take the 17th, there you go. I'm just gonna do it. I won't say anything too, I won't say anything. If we're, if we're talking, I'm just gonna keep talking like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like in my head, all right, you boy, you better make this boy, you better make this, don't, you know, don't miss this one. But I don't want them to know. I don't want them to know. So it's kind of similar to how like, I know, I know that I'm in the wrong, but I'm gonna just, I'm already wrong. I just gotta keep following through because at this point, if I turn back, my pride is out the window. My, this, this character of who I thought I want to be of the guy who knew directions is gonna be out the window. All of this is all gonna be gone. But literally, like I kid you not, this is a genuine thought of mine that like, I. If I'll look at directions, I'll look up directions, I'll put it on my, my Apple Watch, and then I'll even have it buzzing, but make sure I turn off the phone, turn off the sound on my phone so that people don't know I'm looking at directions. This is me, this is crazy. I'm being completely transparent with y'all, man, holy. Okay, so literally, it's looking at this story of how the disciples decided to go ahead and ditch Jesus, it's like they pulled through with a bad idea, the doubt got, got in front of their judgment and they took over and they said three and a half miles all right let's keep going guys let's just keep going even following through with a bad idea despite knowing it's not right the disciples were then we see what the disciple how those disciples react because after in verse 19 it says that they were they were rowing for three or three and a half miles they saw Jesus approaching the boat. They saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on water, and they were, the word that I have in my translation is terrified. They were terrified. I'm telling you, I wish I was there or I wish we got some sort of reenactment because I cannot fathom the silence or the amount of silence and how loud that was to see the disciples terrified seeing Jesus walking on water. Now the given obviously is that, okay, there's a man walking on water. That's bizarre, crazy, whoa, right? We, we can say that, we can agree to that. But I wanna think, think about this. Not only was it bizarre and crazy that Jesus was walking on water, but it was bizarre and crazy because of this. He said that when, when they saw Jesus, they were terrified, but Jesus said unto them, it is I, do not be afraid. Mm, okay, we're gonna, that's gonna go into the next one. But they were terrified. And I think they were terrified with the idea that not only Jesus was walking on water, but Jesus was there in front of them in their mistake of ditching Jesus. And Jesus said, let me come up to you guys. Let me go up to y'all. Who knows what were their thoughts? Fear or uh, fear of judgment, fear of, of, uh, of what Jesus was going to do or say. 
Who knows what those thoughts were? But I think there are moments in where we can relate to that, to that of the disciples. The third point I want to go over today, I got to touch a little bit, is that as we, read, as we keep on reading, the divine delivers us from delusion. In other words, when Jesus intervenes. We have to be transparent with Jesus just as how we are expected to be transparent with each other. Our church family, our friends, and those in your inner circles. We are expected to be honest and real with each other. We are encouraged to be honest and real with each other when we hurt, when we are frustrated, when we are in places in our head that aren't necessarily, quote, happy thoughts. I think we are encouraged to be honest with each other. And when we see in John chapter 6, 20 and 21, Jesus says to them on the water, it is I, don't be afraid. And then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shores. So again, yes, they were terrified, but I think again that they were shocked they were shocked at the, the fact that Jesus calmed the waters but said, let me enter the boat with you again. Despite what they did, despite what they thought, despite what they doubted, Jesus found them and said, let me be with you. Again, this is the beauty of the imperfections that come with, thank you, Mark. These are the beauties that come with the imperfections that come with reading of the disciples and the people of the Bible that are human, humanly made, human in nature, and human in action. The bigger picture, again, is that Jesus did not only walk on water to get to them, but Jesus accepted and continued to do life and ministry with those disciples despite the doubts that, that, have, that they have had. Because it is... The, the, the damaging thoughts and destructive actions are nothing to keep Jesus away. Amen? Again, the damaging thoughts and destructive actions are nothing to keep Jesus away. Jesus sees this bigger picture. Jesus sees our past. He sees our flaws and our flawed thinking of the future. Yet Jesus will still actively decide to do life with us. We can have strong convictions about our sisters and brothers here on this earth, and we might not decide to do life with them, but there is literally nothing, I'm just telling you here this morning, that there's literally nothing in this universe that will keep us separated from Christ. Nothing that we do, nothing that we say, or nothing that we think. These these moments that the disciples shared probably were not instant moment of realizations. And I want to emphasize this. That just because that the, the, the Bible is saying this, and I'm telling you that, yes, doubt, yes, it, it sounds like it's, it's big and scary. And, oh, yes, the, the, the disciples automatically lived a doubt-free life with Jesus. And we all know that there's not. The disciples still encountered doubt even up until Jesus' death. 
So what I'm saying is that those moments were not instant realizations. And just as it is today, I'm confident that it's gonna, no, just how it was before, I'm confident that it took time for these realizations to come about. I'm confident that it took time, patience, frustrating moments for the disciples to again fully accept Jesus as their savior. And just as it, just as it is for them, it is for us. That these moments that we can look back on and remind and encourage each other that this is a process. This is a genuine process. It's not instant moments and it's not miraculous how we might think sometimes. And it takes time, it takes frustration for us to get to a point with Jesus to trust in him despite where we have seen our life going or possibly going. Later on in the chapter, in John 6, 28, so Jesus has already arrived, and now he's speaking. Um, he's speaking and he's conversing. Um, I'm sorry, on, on verse uh, 20, 28 and 29, they, they ask him, so what is it we must do to the, what is it that we must do to the works that God requires? Jesus then answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one whom he has sent. When we have these doubts and insecurities with, the, with our own selves, with our own character, with others, it's already written. We, Jesus already knows what we're gonna be thinking. Jesus already knows the, the, the scary, the really negative, the bad thoughts that we have but it's literally already, it's because it's already written, Jesus already knows and acknowledges, and he, again, he chooses to still do life with us. We need to believe. Not in the, not, we don't believe in the, our own expected outcome. We need to just believe in Jesus. Believe that Jesus has done it before and that he's going to do it again. That, it's not gonna be through delusion in where we believe. The point that we're coming from is not gonna be through dysfunction and our, our action as a response. But the point is that we're gonna be believing in who Jesus was and through the gospel of John, Jesus was human. He dealt with us and people like us already. And we can look and confidently say that Jesus will still choose us. Jesus will still choose us despite what is it that we think and what is it that we do. We believe in Jesus and his words of comfort. We believe in Jesus and his encounters of humility. We believe in Jesus in his living a presence among us today. Today, Jesus is alive and Jesus is living amongst us he has already shown that no matter where we have come from, no matter what is it that we're trying to think, however negative that is, that Jesus will still choose to do life with us. I'm going to read a verse, the key text of this, of today, and then I'm going to share a experience and then we're going to close. But as we keep reading down in, in John, the whole gospel, it, it, again, it's so fascinating to see 
the interactions and the, the descriptive words that come from, from John and how the disciples and those who interacted with Jesus responded to how Jesus was. But I'm going to read this again, the, 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 the text from, from this morning, and I'm going to read it from verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have to come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. Now the key text is this, verse 40, for my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. We got high schoolers in here? I know we got some high schoolers. See Jackie right here. High schoolers, hands up, hands up, high schoolers. You got some right there? I'm preaching it this way. Here we go. When I was in high school, I, again, I, t- I said, I discovered that the doubt and insecurity I had about myself was unfathomable. I didn't realize what I was, I was doing things just to appease the need and want for other people's approval. I learned through therapy that I need to learn how to love myself. And this is where I step in and I get to say the Jesus perspective because I'm a Christian. And when I heard that, I heard, you need to see things the way that Jesus sees you. Because certain things weren't going in my plan, I thought low of myself. I thought that this was a direct effect of lack of faith. I, I thought that because those who didn't like me, because those there were those that didn't like me, then that meant that I was not loved by anyone else. My worth was my worth was belittled to nothing. But the key thing that I learned the last stages of high school to to college was that how is it that I can't see myself the way Jesus is? The basic answer to that is that Jesus knows that our flawed thinking is going to be inevitable, but he's always pushing us and encouraging us to continue to believe in him because Jesus has delivered and Jesus will deliver us. Again, in verse 40, for my Father's will that he is not everyone. In verse 40, for it is my Father's will that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise him up the last day. We just gotta believe in Jesus. It's tough. And I say that, and, and I'm saying it again, that it's not, it wasn't meant that when we read these stories, it's instant realizations, but it takes time. It's gonna take time, it's gonna take relationship. But these are the times where we look into stories like this. We look into the, to the, the people that we read and remind ourselves that we gotta keep on believing. We gotta keep on believing. When I found out that, when I started this realization of the doubt and insecurity of myself, I, I started to 
put a lot of worth and a lot of, of uh, weight to other people's views and perspective of them on me. So again, this is where I'm asking for some understanding and some transparency because at this point, I was a senior in high school. I was a senior in high school and y'all know, the, y'all know those, uh, those high school superlatives? You know what that is? They call it superlatives, you know those? It's like uh, best dress, best hair, best eyes. You know what I'm talking about? Say yes if you know. Yeah, there's someone who said no. Well, now you know. In high school, when I heard this, when I heard this, I knew I needed to be noticed. And so there was a lot, there was a lot of part of me where I needed to be seen and I needed to be acknowledged. So I found out that there was something called an award called Most Spirited. So I made it a point at senior year, I made it a point. I said, you know what? That seems manageable. I could do that. I could get that award. I'm going to be in the yearbook. I'm immortal. High school, yeah, I'm going to be the best. High school lives on forever, right? Yeah. So I did like a little campaign. Like now, now, albeit people were kind of bold with how they did this. Like some people like had buttons. Some people made like little cupcakes. Some people had the signs, the balloons. So during the voting week of my high school senior year, people were like campaigning themselves to be like most likely to succeed or like, uh, I got best eyes. Like, and like, there was one girl who like started a hashtag. I was like, whoa, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play it cool. Just like how I don't wanna make it look like I, I know directions. Uh, I'm gonna play it cool and I'm just gonna, just like subtly tell everyone that, hey, yeah, vote for me, most spirited. So I went to all the games. I went to all the games. I did the face paint. I came through this one time. I, I, I brought a, a big bass drum. I got kicked out of a game because I was being too loud, whatever. But like this happened. So I, I made an active point that this is how I'm going to derive my worth. It is from these people. I, I got this. I'm going to get this award. Yes. Came about, voting week came about. I lost. I lost. And I found out because the how they did it is that they gave like paper plates right and then they did it in like two days they gave out paper plates and like the student body like directors or whatever they would come into like your classroom and it'd be like a big deal uninterrupted they're gonna say hey like Alex has one best smile you know like they make it a whole thing and it's like ooh, I wanted that I wanted that so after the first day came about I found out that somebody already got the most spirited. And I remember I was like crushed, but I, in my insecurity and in my doubt, I remember saying and telling myself, don't make it look like everybody knows what's up. Just play it off cool. So like, I like ran into him like right after school and I was like, hey, congratulations. He's like, yeah, bro, I know you were running too. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I gave him a hug and I was like, whoa. I was not happy. (laughs) I was not happy, but that's who I used to be. And then the second day came about. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reiterate this again, that this might seem very small, very belittling, but I'm promising you that there's somebody who's listening to this, to where they're saying, that's me. The second day came about, I was crushed because that was the only word I was going for. And then I was like in class and then they like barged, they barged in they gave the awards to some of the kids who were in my classroom. And I remember I, I like talked to my friend the night before and like we had like a little counseling session. 
we were I was honest with him and and he was like dude don't worry bro like bro you're you're good bro like high school like don't worry you know I was like what are you talking about bro like high school like my life is here bro you know this again high school thinking yeah high school thinking that's right so after that conversation I came to acceptance I came to acceptance the next day I was like all right bet I'm good like I have rested with that thought of not winning but what was something that was really cool was that there were people who voted for me for something else that I did not seem to be like interested in and I was like all right cool whatever and then I ended up getting an award and then I ended up getting an award from most funniest. I was like, whoa, I, wasn't even, I was not even going for that. Like, what, that's not even in my route. Whoa, right? And then, like, I was like, kind of like shocked and kind of like ecstatic. I was like, what is happening? And then I remember I spoke to the director, the student director, and I was like, yo, uh, was this a joke? Like, I genuinely thought it was a joke. I was like, are you guys trying to play a joke on me? Um, because I was kind of cool with them, but, I didn't think I was like, whoa, are they that cool enough to like, like embarrass me in front of people? I don't know. I was found out, confronted them. I said, dude, was this a joke? And he was like, no, dude. Like, um, we were all kind of shocked too, because I know you were going for most spirited. And it was like, bro, like, yeah, like you supposedly, like you had like alarming amount of votes and people were, people, like it was like one of the, the landslide victories. I was like, whoa. And so to me, high school JB saw that as, I know that the worth that I saw myself laid heavy on the people, but I was able to be transparent with my homie the night before. I was trying to accept, you know what, this is not who I am and that's fine. So I went through my own little cycle of acceptance, but then again, <laughs> small, small parallel, small parallel illustration in that moment is then when I was like, whoa, I don't see I thought I saw my ways a, a different way, but I guess other people see me in a different light. And I say that in a good way. Because there's a certain point where you gotta, you gotta own up your, your character, you gotta own up who you are. And I was, after that, I was starting to be, I was beginning the journey of accepting who I was and the worth that I should see myself in the same light that Jesus had. I thought that in the, in, in the, di the day before I was like, it was a really like low conversation. And I remember feeling that I was like, dang, like I really, like to myself, the thoughts were like, I, I really have like no worth, like this is dumb. Like nobody sees me the way I thought I should. Oh, this is dumb. But Jesus is able to see that and he works in weird ways. I could say weird, but Jesus works in weird ways into where he can manage to speak to us, show us in ways that we can only be accepting of, of looking at it and showing us that Jesus was already there this whole time. Jesus shares his perspective of how he will always choose us despite the doubts, despite the insecurities that we have. I said, oh Jesus, I have doubts in where my life is going. I said, Jesus, I, have, I feel lesser because of my doubts. I, Jesus, I feel like I, I, can't, I can't have anybody here to relate with on this world, on this earth. I said, Jesus, there's scripture in here. We call it the Holy Bible. I don't see 
nothing relatable in this. Jesus, I'm unsure of where my life is going to be going. And honestly, I'm unsure of you. Doubt can do a lot of damaging things. But just as how Jesus reached out and went onto the boat of the disciples, Jesus has already leveled himself with us. Jesus came down to our level. Jesus, you dealt with the imperfections of human nature. You have dealt already with the thoughts and the actions that are detrimental to our health. I wanna say thank you, Jesus. You've already come on this world. You've already lived this life, but you're reminding us that we are humans, we are flawed. Thank you, Jesus, for still choosing to do life with us. And thank you, Jesus, for delivering us from the delusion that comes from our human nature. Jesus, you deliver us from doubt. You've delivered us from pain. And as shown in scripture, you've delivered us from doubt and pain in action. I think it's a, an amazing and glorious thought that we can fall back on you, Jesus, and know that we can confidently fall back with your arms holding us as we fall. Jesus, I'm allowing you to work through this doubt that we have. Father God, we say thank you. Thank you for the stories and the people that we have read in your scripture. Thank you for the experiences that we have had in our lifetime. And thank you for our flawed human nature. It's an odd thing to think, but because of our flaws, Jesus, that is where those cracks in the wall of our flaws is where we see your light shine through the most. Our perception and our interpretation of how we see you can differ from one another, but the thing that we can agree on is that it shines so bright that it can take over us. Only if we allow, only if we allow your light to shine and deliver us from doubt from our thoughts and our actions. So Jesus, I'm praying that when things haven't gone our way, when things already have not gone our way, that you will show and deliver us and still remind us that you will always choose us. You will always choose us despite the anger that we have, the, the, the frustration that we have, the doubt, the insecurity, that comes with being a, a human on earth is, that you will alleviate of that, but not just in an instant, but realistically, you will work through with that. You will work with us so that we can work through with that. Jesus, I'm praying for transformation in how we shift our perspective for you. I'm praying that the doubts that we have when 
hardship happens, our instinct is to just go to you. Let's not let the doubt cause dysfunction. Let's not let the doubt cause the delusion. But let us just be delivered. For your name has so much power, so much strength. You calm the storms, you feed the many. Jesus, it's already written that you have won. So I'm praying that in all of our battles, however little, however small, or however unmeaningful it is, I pray that you be with us in these battles, Jesus. Those moments where we feel like no one is watching or watching over us is where we need you the most. Thank you for church. Thank you for family. And thank you for your love and your constant daily decision to always choose us. Continue to deliver us from the doubt that the world and the enemy has put upon us. And we're praying that this is an ongoing process that happens when we walk with you. This is not a one-time high. This is not a one-time prayer. Jesus, this is a reminder of a constant prayer in the relationship we have with you that we will always choose you because you've already always chosen us. We love you so much, Jesus. We cannot wait to be reunited with you, our sisters, our brothers. Until the morning, Jesus. We pray these things into your name. We say amen.